But we are speaking about Jesus into situations, and I don't want you to hesitate um, about doing that, okay? To cry out to Jesus. It is a declaration. It is a desire for his presence. It's, it's Jesus, okay? And so if you're wrestling with any struggles, any problems, even with your own weariness or discouragement, we cry out to Jesus, okay? Jesus, come, all right? Invite him in and, and be filled with faith as you declare his name, as you cry out to him, okay? That's just not some word that we say, like Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like the more we say it, the more power there is. That's, that's not a thing. That's an incantation. We don't use Jesus' name like that. Jesus is a person, not a word. All right. Um, I want to tell you a little story. We're continuing our discussion about heaven. Um, you know, one of those stories that you hear, you're not quite so sure they're true or not, but you kind of heard it. And this this man died, and he goes to heaven, and he is in the process of being rewarded for his good things that he's done on earth. And the angel asks him, "So, Fred, which by the way happened to have been his name, he says, Fred, tell me one good thing." that you have done when you were on earth. And, and Fred thought for a moment, but it only needed to take a moment. He said, yes, I remember a time in which while I was walking by on my regular daily walks, I saw in an alley a gang of bikers, and man, they were big and burly and tattooed and mean looking. And I saw them beating up on an old lady, and I walked right up to them, and I pushed one of their motorcycles over just to get their attention. And I walked up to the biggest guy there, and I looked at him square in the face, and I punched him right in the gut. And I shook my hand in his face, and I said, you let that old lady go? The angel looked at him and said, wow, when did that happen? And the guy said, oh, about two or three minutes ago. <laughs> We will be rewarded, church. I'm not sure that we should walk up the big bikers like that. <laughs> but, yeah, let's do what we can to rescue people. Let's do what we can to serve at sacrifice, right? But I want to talk about rewards uh, tonight. I want to talk about rewards and how they go together with ruling, believe it or not. And we see this. Remember, we looked at this new city, the new Jerusalem coming out, down out of heaven from God. And as it is now displayed on the earth, we saw that there was symbolism, that it wasn't really a literal city, because if it was a literal city, right outside the gates would be the rest of the new earth, but right outside the gates is hell. It is those who died in their sins. And we realize this is a metaphor for the kingdom of God. We are that kingdom. John tells us that twice in Revelation. We are made to be a kingdom and priest. So we're this kingdom. His kingdom will fill the new heavens and the new earth. So here we are, and it says something unusual that I'm going to have us look at about rain. But before I do that, I want to recap just a bit. Last week, we looked at something that personally I think is very interesting, and the more you think about it, the more it just causes your mind, honestly, to just, at least my mind, maybe because it's so small, but it just causes it to explode. And it is this, it's that, the nations brought their glory and honor into the city. That is, into the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God on this new restored earth. And what was that glory and honor? It is the image of God restored, and it is actually how we 
mirrored that image as we did here on earth, this earth. Now, you might remember we were made in the image of God. Genesis 1 tells us this. We're made in God's likeness. What exactly that is, we don't know, but in just a moment I'm going to share some things. But here we are, we're made in his image, but at the garden, that image was broken because of sin and curse. A curse fell upon us, God's the pinnacle of God's creation, but it fell upon all of creation throughout the universe. And Romans 8 says that the, the universe, the, the cosmos, the, the all of God's creation is in frustration. And maybe we'll look at that someday, but honestly, what we need to realize is our sin, Satan leading Adam and Eve into sin, it broke the world. It, it broke God's creation, not beyond repair, so that in Christ. In Christ, we discover that we are being renewed in the knowledge of the image of our Creator. See, it starts with knowledge, understanding who God is and how we reflect Him, and then doing that, reflecting it. So in Christ, this image is in the process of being restored, which means, basically then, that the knowledge that we have, that we have an unusual acumen that is far beyond other animals, not even close. We are creative, far beyond anything else or anyone else in the animal kingdom. There's something inside of us that actually wants to create. And if you're not a creative person, see, I used to view myself as not a very creative person until I realized, because I, I always compare myself to my wife, who is just incredibly creative. I'm just not creative like she is. I'm creative in, in other ways. When I was a kid, I was really creative in how I did evil things. Then I got saved. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I just realized that I'm creative in, in different ways. Um, and each of us is creative. Why? Because we reflect the image of God. God is our what? Creator with a C. Capital C. Okay? He's a creator. And we mirror that. We're also made in the image of God, and, and it will reflect how we relate with people. We're very relational. Some are more relational than others, but we are all relational. Character. The very character or attributes of God are displayed in us. The only three ways in which we will never reflect God is in his omnipresence, his omnipotent, omnipotence, and his omniscience. When we're in heaven, guys, we talked about it last week, we will not be omniscient. We're not going to know everything. Not even the angels know everything. We're in the, we will forever be growing then and learning in our knowledge. Okay? And this is all tied to the fact that we will be in a restored earth. That is an earth that is brought back to its original condition of paradise. That's where we will live. That's how we will live on that type of, of renewed earth. But we will do so in our resurrected bodies, okay? That resurrected body is a little different than Adam's and Eve's, okay? But it will be immortal like theirs was originally, just a little different. And... We're also going to be reflecting him with regard to building and inventing things, discovering things. Uh, we're going to be, we reflect his image in that we work. Okay? Work is not a four-letter word. Uh, anyway, work is, work is something God gave us. We're going to look at that in just a moment, but how that plays into mirroring the image of God. We are, we have a culture. Every single human being is... <clears throat> grows up in a culture, and that culture is how a particular ethnos or a people group simply reflect the image of God in a particular way, like the facet of a diamond. Not every culture has it all. 
guys, you don't have it all. We need women to reflect another aspect of God's, uh, God's image. And so all of this, in, 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 in culture, um, God's image is revealed in language, in storytelling. Every culture has different stories, and they tell stories differently. They, their creativity is different. Their dress, their food, their customs are different. Their art, their architecture, all of these things are reflections of God's image. In heaven, that image will be fully restored, and we will walk, we will exercise, we will do life for all of eternity in that restored image. Okay? In some ways, Jesus said we're going to be like the angels, but in other ways, church, we are still going to be very different. We're going to have resurrected bodies, and they will not. And it, you know, just trying to think about what that even means is, wow, they, are, they were not created to live on earth. We were. We'll have five senses um, unhindered by sin. Okay, right now they're hindered by sin. Imagine five senses, well, I can hardly wait until I can smell again. <laughs> My wife still says I smell bad, but I mean, the truth is that I, I, yeah, I can't smell. I had a no operation on my nose because of allergies, and uh, I got unstopped, but it destroyed something, and, and I can't smell. But I, I'm looking forward to when I can. And all five senses, like on high octane, living in God's kingdom forever and ever, doing all of this stuff, and probably a whole lot more than I'm even thinking, uh, that's what it's going to be like. Okay? So what I want to do is I, I want us to, to see... Let me not make sure I don't jump ahead of myself. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 connects something um, with this image and likeness of God, and it's this, that we were called to rule over the earth. There's several scriptures in Revelation that speak about us reigning, and reigning means ruling. Ruling means bringing decisions or judgments. Revelation 2, 26 and 27 says that we will have authority over the nations. I believe that's during the intermediate, excuse me, the, yeah, the intermediate state. That is right now. Not the eternal state, heaven on earth. We will be involved in bringing decisions over the nations. And Daniel 7 talks about thrones and a court was seated to bring judgment upon the little horn. And you can read through Jan Daniel 7. And there, what is all of this? Could it not be maybe the saints being involved in bringing judgments? And even at the end, it finally it says, turning the kingdom over to the saints. That is the saints on the earth. So what is all of this? This idea of, of reigning. And before we do that, I, I, I'm going to read a passage in Revelation 22. It talks about this and the implications of it. Before I do, I want to just open in prayer as we jump into this topic today. That is, on this restored earth, what does it mean that we will be reigning forever and ever? So, Father, I just ask right now, give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to your church. And that, Father, that we're going to walk from here, not just growing in knowledge, but truly being transformed because your truth has power to do that. Would you do that, God? In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
So let's look at, Je at uh, Revelation 22, verse 5. Very simply, it says this, and they will reign forever and ever. They'll reign forever and ever. Does that mean that we're all going to be kings? Well, maybe in a sense, but maybe a different kind. Because we think of kings ruling over kingdoms, that is, people. And I'm going to suggest that that's not the type of ruling or reigning that we're going to do. Though some may have to do that to some degree, but this type of reigning that we will all do goes back to Genesis chapter 1. But it says this in Genesis chapter 1. It says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. This goes hand in glove with this, cre this restored earth. We're going to be given charge over it. If you were to turn to Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, it says, And they will reign, NIV says, on the earth. That Greek word there is epi. And I'm just going to suggest it does mean on or upon, but when it's preceded by a noun like this, it can mean rule over. And we actually see that several times in the New Testament that this Greek word is translated over, which basically means not just that we're going to reign on the earth, but we're going to reign over the earth. Do you see the difference? One has to do with place. The other has to do with the extent of our influence. This is what we're going to experience in heaven. And there's going to be so many elements and so many things, uh, projects, people, and all that we're going to talk about this evening that we're going to bring this element of reigning or rulership over, okay? Revelation 2, 26 to 27 says, To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. There's that Greek word again, epi, on. But you don't have authority on the nations, you have authority over the nations. And I, I mentioned this to you before. I think this is this has to do with the intermediate state. That is between now and the time Jesus comes and destroys the earth and restores it. Okay, his restored creation paradise. So between now and then, I believe this verse is going to be fulfilled. It's not just at judgment. Okay, some believe that that verse just has to do with when the earth is judged and somehow we're going to be a part of that. I believe it has to do with the entire intermediate state. Some of our loved ones have gone on to be with the Lord, and they are doing it. They, are, they, are, they have authority over the nations, meaning they, their, part of their responsibility is to be involved in understanding and rendering judgments and somehow submitting those in God's divine court. And he brings a final judgment. Angels are involved. All of what God's will is, is done. And somehow, it seems we're a part of that. He doesn't give, tell us anymore. So in some way, we're a part of that. Ruling or having authority over the nations. Jesus gave two parables. We're going to look at them more one than another. One we're just going to look at very briefly. That's the parable of the talents. Just going to look at like two or three verses there so that we can kind of look at the grid, look at these metaphors, these uh, ideas that Jesus is giving and, and see what they mean. They're symbols, okay? They're figurative language because that's what parables do. They use figurative language, okay? 
And we're just going to extrapolate a little bit from it, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time in the parable of the minas. Um, I think not, not enough sermons are preached on the parable of the minas because they're so similar to the parable of the talents. But um, so I mean, I am going to have us look at in depth this parable of the the talents. So turn with me first, though, to this parable of the talents. Okay, in this parable of the talents. We actually get our English word talent from this Greek word here that's literally translated talent. It is talenta, talents, okay? We're going to see something a little bit different with this before we go on to the parable of the minus. So follow along with me, Matthew 25, verses 14 and 15 only. You're not going to read the whole thing. So Jesus says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. That is the kingdom of God. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Just a few things here. The master is Jesus. He's going a long journey. That means he's leaving the earth for a season, but he's coming back. That's his promise. It's guaranteed. So Jesus is going away, and while he's away, he is entrusting, or this master is entrusting his property to his servants. So what is, who are his servants? It would be those, I'm going to suggest, not just everybody on the earth, but it is those that Jesus entrusts certain of his assets too. Okay, we're going to get into that a little bit more when we look at the parable of the miners, but just, just it's, it's the pair, it's, it's um, the, the servants are those that Jesus has entrusted his property to and it says here that he gave one five talents. A talent if you were to kind of think it through what a talent is, it comes out to about a million dollars. So to one, he gave $5 million, and he said, do what you can to increase it. So he increased that $5 million by another $5 million. The one with $2 million, two more million. The one with $1 million, did he make one more? No, he didn't. We're going to look at that because in the parable of the minor, we have the same issue. Okay? Parable of the minor. What he entrusts to them are talents, but those talents are based on each servant's own abilities. What are those abilities? See, those abilities are the gifts that God has given you. They're your resources, their friends, their family. Those are things that God has um, excuse me, I'm jumping ahead of myself. They're, they're your intelligence. They're the things that you own, that you were born with. There are certain skills that you acquire. There are even talents that you have. See, I think when they came up with the word talent in English, I think they made a mistake, and they based it on the talents that, God, that the master gives. See, the talent that we have, that is certain abilities that are innate or we acquire, those are our abilities, and the, then God gives the talents, five, two, one talents to us, based on our abilities. So each of us here have different personalities, different 
capabilities, different abilities that you have, um, some with greater intelligence, others with just intelligence in a different way. Some are really good at figuring out puzzles, others are more spatially intelligent, okay? And, and they can just figure things out spatially. Um, just interesting how intelligence is different. I mean, some person can fail at math, but when it comes to English and just thinking through how language fits together and the creativity of that, just very different type of application of intelligence, they do great. I did terrible in English, and I did really well in, in math, okay? So some people do great in both, but each of you have a different type and a different capacity in intelligence, and God gives you grace, grace opportunities. Those are the talents. He gives you opportunities like a person that you may end up marrying, children. He gives you certain friends. God gives you those friends. God gives you certain financial resources. You weren't born with them, but he, he entrusts them to you. He entrusts a job to you. He entrusts a variety of things and assets to your stewardship. He gave you a workplace, a certain time in human history, a certain boss, a certain job to do, very specific. And that may change throughout your lifetime, but this is something God has given you. And then the question is, how are you going to use the, these opportunities, excuse me, how are you going to use the abilities, including the spiritual gifts, by the way, that God has given you to impact and utilize these grace opportunities? And I'm purposely calling them grace opportunities because this is what God then gives and adds to what we have, what we bring to the table, so to speak. How, what are you going to do with all of that? So this is the parable of the talents. The parable of the minas is just a little bit different. Um, understand something interesting, that, and we're going to see this in both of these parables, that the reward, now remember, I'm, I'm going to get around to talking about ruling here in just a moment, but it has it's linked to your reward. How you ruled in this life, how you exercised and shined the image of God in Christ and impacted, that is going to determine your rewards. And now listen to this. In verse 21, he says this. Well done, the master says when he returns, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness or joy. Uh, so whatever happens here, it is going to be, you're going to be filled with joy. But you're rewarded by now being given much. We're going to have to look at, wow, what does that mean? What is much? In the Greek, it's neuter. If this were ruling over people, it would have been in the masculine. And that's just how we talk too. Okay? But... This is neuter, few things, many things, and so it's going to be things, it's going to be realms, it's going to be opportunities that God is going to give to us, but in a much greater capacity. And I'm going to promise you, we're going to delve into this, but when you arrive in heaven, God will tap into your greatest passions, and we're all going to be having slightly different passions, and he's going to tap into those, 
And what he's going to entrust you with and what he's going to reward you with is going to be so phenomenal that you are going to be ecstatic and excited about what God is entrusting you in this new earth. Okay? So let's go now to the parable of the mines. Let's look at what Jesus has to say in this parable, and let's dig into it just a little bit more than what we did with this one. All right? So here we go. Luke 19. Luke 19. And I'm going to start with verse 11. Luke 19, 11. While they were listening to this, they're sitting at Zacchaeus' table, by the way, if you remember the story of Zacchaeus, and Jesus brings his parable. He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem. This is actually close to his death. <clears throat> and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king. It actually means to receive to himself a kingdom. So he's going to receive this kingdom. It's not, he's going to be made king of this kingdom is what it's getting at. And then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. So he's giving one mina to each of the ten servants. But his subjects, this is a different group of people, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. They all knew he was going away to become king. We don't want him. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Now, in the parable of the talents, they were given different number of talents. Here, they're all given the same. What they produced was different, whereas the parable of the talents, it mirrored what they were given. Given five talents, produced five talents. Now he's given one, one mina, and a mina is about $15,000. Okay? Not a million, but $15,000. He makes... Ten times that. Okay? Which would mean, if you do the math right, about $150,000. Okay. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy with a very small matter, take charge or have authority over ten cities. The second came and said, sir, your mind is earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you. Hmm. Because you're a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you do not sow. Now somehow this is going to tie into Jesus, right? Because he's the, he's the noble one who left and became king. The nobleman who left and became king. Hmm. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words. You wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man, taking up what I did not put in, reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? In other words, you should have done at least something. 
but you didn't. Then he said to those standing by, take this minor away from him and give it to the one who has ten minors. Sir, they said, he already had ten. He replied, I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Now, in the parable of the talents, the one who did not make anything and buried his was cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? I think it would be fair to say that as we look at this parable, that the subjects would be the Jews in Jesus' day that rejected him. They were Jesus' enemies. They actually tried to crucify him. But... They would be Jesus' enemies. The, 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 the servants, not the subjects, the servants would be those who wanted to serve the master. Now, I don't want to get into, is this one who didn't do anything, was he really a servant of Jesus? Did he fall away? I don't want to get into that because the text, I don't believe, uh, I don't believe Jesus wanted to get into that. He is just looking at it face value, Okay. Whether you think you're a Christian or not, you, or if you think you're a Christian and whether you are or not, you have been now entrusted with something, at least the truth of the gospel, right? And we respond to it, and if we respond to it genuinely, Thank you. God now empowers us to, to bear much fruit. So regardless of how we're going to think through this and, 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 and whatnot, it's the end result that matters. It is what we produce by our faith. And if it's genuine, I'm going to suggest it will produce something. Because a good tree produces good fruit. As Christians, we will do something. We will produce something. Um, in the story, the nobleman goes away. He comes back and he demands, just like in the parable of the talents, what have you produced? What did it, what did you do with the opportunities that I gave you? What did you do with the opportunities that God, that Jesus gave you? Now the one the one with one mina who produced ten is now given authority over ten cities. And I'm not suggesting that now as we bring that into the, our, our translation and, and what does this symbol mean, that it means that when we get to heaven, if you did it right, and you produced ten, ten times more, that you're going to be a governor over or a mayor over ten cities. Because that's in the context of this parable. What does a servant do? He oversees his master's property. What does a king do? He oversees <coughs> cities. So in the parable, of course, you're gonna you're gonna be rewarded with overseeing cities. I'm not suggesting that in heaven that you're going to oversee 10 cities but you will oversee you're going to give you're going to be given authority over something the one who had one produced five his reward was comparable to what he did with what was entrusted so here's my question what have you been entrusted with what what is it that you are have authority over it says in 
In Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is before the fall. Adam and Eve were given a work to do. Guys, in heaven, we're going to be given a work to do. If you think it's an eternal vacation where you just sit, sit around on the beach sipping pina coladas, you got heaven all wrong. I'm going to guarantee you that will become boring very soon. Do you remember when you were a kid and you went on vacation? Or maybe during summer, you didn't even have to go anywhere. You were just on vacation for like three months, right? I, mean, I tell you what, it, it, maybe it's just me, but by the end of three months, I was so bored. I had done everything that I wanted to like 10 to 20 times. I could hardly wait for school to start, right? And am I just the only one, or is that you too? Yeah, you're the only one. But man, I just got bored. Wow. And if you're just sipping pina coladas on the beach, you're going to get bored. But you will never be bored in heaven. Amen. Why? Because you're going to be given a work to do. And that you're going to wake up Monday mornings, and you're going to be so excited to do the work that God has entrusted you. It's going to tap into everything that he uniquely wired you for. And he's, it's going to be special. It's going to, it, it may vary throughout eternity. I, I don't know. But you will be given a work to do. It will be so engaging. You will love doing it. You'll actually love the people you work with. Because that's what we do. Adam didn't work the garden by himself. He had a helpmate. That means she helped him with what? With tending the garden. They were in it together. We do life together. We're going to do eternity together, guys. I don't know what I'm going to be doing throughout eternity specifically. I, I, I hope it involves some exploring. I hope it involves talking with people a lot about Jesus. But that's, yeah, that's going to really, I look forward to that. Um, so whatever, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. But he knows what's going to excite me. So when I wake up Monday morning, it's like, okay, let's go. All I need is my cup of coffee, right? I think there's going to be coffee in heaven. Oh, yeah. Amen. 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 If you can think of what people do with plants now, and it's not just tending them, it's uniquely understanding them to use them. And there's, guys, there are so many plants in this earth. I'm just amazed when I read about other nations and cultures and the different plants that they have. It's like, I've never heard of that. When I was writing this story, The Legend of the Craftsman King, I had to create a culture of just a completely different world. And so I had to introduce foods and and some of them I kind of made up, but a lot of them I just got from Vietnam, okay, since that's where this takes place except underground. And so I had to research some of their foods and some of their animals. And it was like, do these things really exist? Oh, my goodness. But how God gave these plants, some of them he did not give for food, okay? Please, in heaven, don't try to eat the bark of a tree. I'm not convinced that that's what he meant it for, but... You're probably going to find use for the bark of a tree, okay? And we're going to oversee plants and all kinds of vegetation. We're going to oversee animals. 
and how to use these animals. And yes, I truly believe dinosaurs will be on the new earth. That will be paradise. But they're not going to eat you when you try to pet them. Or ride them. I am riding a T-Rex. I am. I'm being facetious. Maybe not. Why not, right? But this is... Adam... I am sure had to name the dinosaurs as well. And he, he didn't tell the T-Rex, you can't cross that 10,000 volt uh, electrified wire, okay, because you're going to get electrocuted. He didn't have to, he was, he was able, I'm sure, to touch the T-Rex because the animals were tame. Anyway, I, I, I get, I'm getting off track a bit. We're going to oversee multiple uses of these animals. We're going to be able to oversee events because this now deals with culture and people. And part of what we're going to do is events and activities and festivals. And there's going to be feasting and celebrations of all kinds. But we will work, okay? And some of you are going to oversee events or be heavily involved in community. And you're not just going to be by yourself. There's not going to be a uh, Robinson Crusoe all by himself on a little old island. You're not going to be isolated. God created you, wired you to be relational, and there's going to be a lot of people. And if you don't like people, I'm going to suggest God's going to totally change that. Because you will love people. You'll love hanging out with people. Some of you are still going to be extroverts, and you're probably going to tell the stories a little bit more than someone like me who is more of an introvert. But regardless, people, community, that's what it's going to be about. All right? Projects, certain disciplines of study, all of this teaching. I think if we're learning, then we got to have teachers, right? So, teachers. I, I'm looking forward to talking with people you know, before the flood, at the time of Jesus, throughout history, and things that they knew. Event, I want them to tell me the stories that they would. I want to ask Noah, how did it all happen? I just, I want to know. All right? We have eternity to learn all about what has happened, people's redemption stories, their lives. I mean, my goodness, if you watch soap operas and, and all the drama that takes place there, you're, that's what you're going to learn about everybody's drama, and not in a bad way, though. This is, this is their stories. We're going to tell stories in heaven, guys. Maybe even made up ones, but we're going to tell stories. <coughs> For some of us, this is just a little bit hard for us to imagine because the curse has just touched everything. When you think of work, maybe for some of you have a bad taste in your mouth. Maybe you hate work and you, you want to sleep in. I'm just going to tell you, all of that's just going to change. All right? We will fulfill the original mandate given to man. That is to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, some question that I have here is this has to do with Earth. Are we called to then rule over the universe as well and explore it? And I'm kind of thinking so, but it doesn't say here. So I'm just that's one of the questions I have. I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven because I, I love learning about space. And it, I mean, it is just it's mind-boggling some of the stuff that's out there, guys. We'll learn to properly mix the agrarian with the industrial and the technology. I do believe there's going to be technology in heaven. Why wouldn't there be? Right? Why, why wouldn't we build machines? Okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, the machines will not take over the earth, if you were worried about that. Okay. 
how will our works be weighed? When we get to heaven, we're rewarded. The parable speaks of how much each one produced, and I'm suggesting it's speaking in parabolic language. I'm going to tell you right now, it will, we will not be rewarded based on how much money we accumulated in this lifetime, but on how many people we impacted with the money we had. You see? We will not, excuse me, it's, we will not be rewarded based on how large our business is. Just because some of you are through this huge business... That, 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 doesn't, <clears throat> that is not what God is concerned about. If you have much, what did you do with that much? If you built much, what did you do with it? So it's not how large our business was, but the degree to which we impacted people, how we helped them in that business. As a business owner, was it just the bottom line that you were worried about? If it is, and you were a Christian, I believe what God is going to have you oversee and the rewards will be very small. Because he gave you much, and you did little with it. You may have gotten a lot of money, but that's not what this is about. How large, a, it's not going to be uh, rewarded based on how large a church we pastored, but on how you impacted the people in that church. Okay? And I'm, 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 I'm not just speaking about myself, but all of us. It's how we impact the people. It's not based on how many children or grandchildren or friends you have. But... I think you get the idea how we impact people. How well we utilize what God gives to us. That's going to depend on how, let me back up. How well we utilize what God gives to us. One minus making ten minus. According to this parable, is going to depend on how you viewed the master. Do you see that in this parable? Because the one who hid his... It, Dug it a hole, buried it, in, you know, in a cloth, because I was afraid of you. Well, wait a second, isn't it a good thing to fear God? See, I don't think that's what he's talking about. He charges him with being a hard man. You take out what you didn't put in. You reap what you didn't sow. There's certain accusations that he has against God, as if uh, against his master, as if his master isn't. Fair. So let's just pause right there. Have you ever felt that way about God? Have you ever felt that God wasn't fair? God, look at how hard I worked and what happened. Look at how much money and time I put into this and it completely failed. I, well, I thought you would bless it, but you didn't. You let it be destroyed. Now, granted, sometimes we blame God for mistakes that we made, but we don't see we make. All right. But let's say God just says, you know what? I just didn't want that blessed like the way you wanted it blessed. And church, we can have we go through those experiences like all the time in our lives. We pour time and energy into friendships and then they tank. We pour time and finances into businesses and they go belly up within the year. And like God, I and, and it may very well be that it was God's will that you start that business. So does that mean? God made your business fail, that somehow God God just was against you? No, no, no. Because God may have wanted you to go through that failure because he wanted to produce something in you that was worth to him 
and hopefully you a whole lot more than whether that business succeeded or failed. Okay? Sometimes we become weary in doing good. We work hard and we produce what we want. Sometimes we can accuse God that he made my life too hard. That he, he just doesn't allow things to go my way enough. So why try so hard? Let me just bury this talent this month. Hmm. I tried hard to help people, but I didn't seem to succeed nearly as much as I wanted to. So little fruit. Wow. Why sacrifice so much then for so little? We can think that way. So you know what? Let me just backpedal here. Let me not sacrifice quite as much. Let me not work so hard. Let me not invest so much. See, that's how the wicked servant works. Wow. I'll just be honest with you guys. I've thought that way before. Now, maybe I'm the only one in the room here. But I, I thought that way before. God, look at how much I worked. Look what I poured into. And what do I have? What do I have to show for it? From God's perspective, He would say to me, Mike, cumulatively, over the three businesses you started that failed, not that I have three businesses that started and failed, but, I, but I'm just, I'm just hypothesizing here a little bit. Well, over ten years. That made you into a man that knew how to work so hard. And when one thing failed after another, you still tried hard to find an answer, to fix the problem. See, that, God created us, church, to be resilient. That in the face of failure, we keep moving forward. That's part of the image of God in us. That's his character of perseverance. That's work. That is taking what our knowledge is and applying it, and if we need to grow in our knowledge, we do that. So we try to figure it out. When you're at work trying to figure out a problem, see, that's the image of God, trying to create viable solutions to problems. So God's going to do this. God is. God wants to produce this in us, even if it takes failure. Well, I'm running out of time here. I'm going to skip to the end here. All right? <clears throat> Oops. I got my notes all twisted around. How did I do that? Here we go. There we go. All of this thinking that I just shared with you, that's what the wicked servant thought. In Matthew, Jesus uses other adjectives. Unfaithful. Lazy. Worthless. Wow. We're considered a worthless servant if he entrusts us with something and we do nothing with it. If, he, if we're made in the image of God and it's, it's being renewed in the image of God and we just don't do anything with it, no, we're commanded to produce fruit. We do something with it. But we can feel weary, can't we? Many times. We, we, can, we can experience this uh, weariness, disappointment, discouragement, dissatisfaction, unhappiness, even a sense of hopelessness. It can be very difficult to deal with, but the, wicked's, but the wicked servant's excuses 
for not serving, not giving, not being diligent, and not being faithful, we're discarded by the master. I'm sorry. I want you to imagine this. You, you're given a task to do. You are to knock down this foot-thick cement wall. It's ten feet tall. You're to knock it down. You're given a sledgehammer. You pick up that sledgehammer, and as best you can, you throw it against the wall, and all you see is dust fall off. You begin to examine the wall. I hit it really hard, and it didn't fall down. Let me examine the wall. And you take 30 minutes to examine the wall. You look, are there any cracks? Is there anything that I did that would signify this wall is starting to fall down? And you don't find anything. Just this little bit of dust that fell through. You, you pick up your sledgehammer, you throw it against the wall again, and same thing happens. You take another 30 minutes and you examine the wall. You still don't see any cracks, and you're thinking, why am I supposed to be knocking this wall down with this sledgehammer? It's not doing any good. It's not doing any good. So you go to your boss, and you say, boss, you told me to knock this wall down, and I've tried twice now. And the boss starts laughing, and he says, I bet you nothing happened. And he says, well, yeah, nothing happened. He says, I'm not going to argue with you. Just go back and knock the wall down. Guys, we can feel like this in life sometimes. So we pick up that sledgehammer and we hit it again. And there's a half-inch crack. We're so enamored. And instead of taking 30 minutes to look at that crack, we take only about 10 minutes now. We, we want to hit it right there. So we take the sledgehammer, we hit it again, and the half-inch crack turns into an inch crack. And you're just thinking... This is going to take forever. You examine it less and less, and you pick up that sledgehammer and hit it again. The inch crack now turns into an inch and a half crack. And you're just, you throw the sledgehammer back, you go talk to the boss, and the boss says, I don't want to hear it. Knock the wall down. And you go back with this attitude. And you just start hitting the wall. And you, you stand there for like half an hour, an hour, just working through an attitude. And then you finally realize, you know what? The boss told me to do this. I bet you anything, he's done it before. He's not playing games with me. And you just realize, I am going to start swinging a sledgehammer as many times as I can, as I need to, to knock this wall down. Ten swings. Twenty swings. The crack is now a foot long. You're a little excited. You start swinging that sledgehammer with 30 hits, 40 hits. The crack is now longer, and it's two cracks. 45 swings, and now the wall is actually starting to shake. And on the 50th swing, you jump out of the way because that cement wall falls down. That is perseverance. That is taking what God has called you to do in this life, regardless of the results, and just saying, if this is what God has for me, this is what I am doing, I'm going to get rid of the attitude. I don't care how weary I am. I'm going, to, I'm going to tackle this with a vengeance, and I'm going to knock this wall down. I'm going to read something to you as I close now. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power that's in us is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. <clears throat> Persecuted, but 
not abandon. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we are, <coughs> excuse me, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. Yes, we can feel that way. So that this life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work within us, but life is at work in you. Church, it's going to feel that way sometimes. You sacrifice so much, giving so much, and it blesses people even though you don't see it or understand it. And you begin to feel weary. But he concludes with this, Therefore do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary trouble, that's what he says about all of the struggles of your 70, 80, 90, 100 years of life on earth. Momentary troubles, light, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. If you're feeling weary tonight, if you're feeling discouraged, if you feel like you're just you just want to throw the towel down, Rocky in the fifteenth round, yeah, baby, that's where I'm at. God wants to encourage you tonight, even to the one who had two talents or one talent and made one more talent. So that's not recorded here. There was one of them, I'm sure. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And he was as excited with that person who had one minor and, and made one more as he was with the one who made ten. And so I'm just going to encourage you. God rejoices over you with saying, God is excited for the very fact that you continue to persevere and run hard after him, to grow in your relationship with him and every day say, Jesus, no matter what, make me more like you and use me today to make an impact in this generation. Let's pray. Father, I just ask, wherever the enemy has been whispering lies into our minds, into our hearts, the deep recesses of what we think, they've been lying saying it's not worth it. Why are you doing this? So why are you why are you so generous? Why are you giving so much? Why are you sacrificing? Why are you serving so much? You deserve a break today. Stop. Who is it that you think you're trying to serve? Do you think he really cares about you? And so, Father, with every single one of these lies that we have listened to, I pray right now, let a determination rise up within us. Let the Spirit of God rise up within us and trample under our feet the enemy, Satan himself, and may we rise up with this determination, I will serve the Lord no matter what. No matter what. Whether I see fruit from my labors or not, what I am doing counts for eternity. I just pray, Father, for every mom in this room may they not grow weary. Every dad Struggling with finances, may he not grow weary. Every worker, maybe they just got fired. And they tried so hard, may they not grow weary. 
Everyone who's been laboring for years in prayer for this lost loved one, may they not give up. And I pray for all of us, God. You've been given so much. I pray, Father, may we tend to those things you've given us with every ability in us. And may we so completely be dependent upon you. I just ask, Father, that we would not give up. And may we produce much. And bring joy to your heart. In Jesus' name. Amen.